So how would you describe a podcast like The Shared Desk? It's a podcast that took its sweet time to do a promo. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that goes without saying. I mean, you could say The Shared Desk is a podcast about collaboration, because that's what we do. Wait, 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 wait. There's a lot more to The Shared Desk. You got our Loot Crate looky loo. Oh, what's in the box? And then what we're doing when we're not writing, usually it's pretty nerdy. Nerd! And then there are the drop-ins. Has the whole world gone crazy? Yes, there are drop-ins. And we love having guests on the show. It's the shared desk after all. And if it's Katie or Lauren, you get some lovely singing as well. So find The Shared Desk on iTunes, Stitcher, or at thesharedesk.com. The Shared Desk. Two writers. One podcast. Different different points points of view. Greetings from TG Geeks webcast where... Ben. And Keith, the two gay geeks, talk about all aspects of geekdom and nerdery. Sci-fi, comics, film, horror, genre. You name it, we talk about it. Find our episodes each week on tggeeks.com. Visit our Facebook page, TG Geeks Webcast. On Google Plus and YouTube, look for us as Two Gay Geeks. You can tweet at TG Geeks and at the Two Gay Geeks. Or call our feedback line at 469-TG-Geeks. That is 469-844-3357. Happy listening. Peace. Cheers. Hello, my name is Joe Hogan. Many of you know me as Epic Grays in various video games and social media. Welcome to episode 113 of Geektitude, a geek culture podcast that celebrates the inner geek in all of us. Today, I am joined once again by my co-host, Ray Vargas. How you doing, Ray? Hello, what's up? <laughs> Not too much. I think we're both a little bit, uh, a little bit sleepy today. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, like I said right before we pressed record, I feel like I'm walking away from a crash landing right now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, My husband and in-laws and I went to brew in the zoo at the Living Desert last night, which is basically a um, kind of food and um, brewing fair that they do at the the zoo in Palm Desert. Mm. And so, yeah, you pay and and you go in and they've got restaurants that are giving away food and, you know, brewers that are letting you try their beers. And, you know, they, they've got good, uh, you know, you get a little cup that you take around to the different booths and they fill it up for you. Um, but this year, if you turn the cup over, it's like a little shot glass and it was really almost distilled in the in the uh, zoo because Whoa. it was it was tequilas and whiskeys and it was like oh my where where did all the beer go this is just liquor <laughs> like you just know, hard liquor <laughs> the zoo is one of those places that i've never really found particularly like attractive like something i want to go do but mm-hmm. all of a sudden you throw getting drunk at the zoo in there. <laughs> <laughs> because like that sounds amazing <laughs> 
Yeah, so at one point I just looked at Matt and I was like, okay, um, I need to not have any more because <laughs> <laughs> we have we have been taking these little tastings of all these distilled liquors and I'm like, um, they've added up. <laughs> I love that moment. I know that moment. <laughs> yeah. It's like, okay, um, that's it. I'm done. Yeah, I'm done. Because it was, to- <laughs> it, it was like that. It was like that feeling of I, I, I just – I dipped my toe into tipsy and then went right to uh, feeling just kind of heavy and full. And I'm like, this won't end well if I keep going. <laughs> wow. Sounds like you had a great time though. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Good food. Good, uh, good drinks. It was good. Cool. That's cool. Um, well I had an art show last night. So, and, uh, it's, it was just a little print show and, and pop-up store where I was selling prints um, in downtown Santa Ana, uh, which is you know, where I live nowadays and where my studio is located. Um, and it just, it was a lot of fun, but it definitely reminded me of how out of practice I am in doing those events. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, for years when I was in LA and, and teaching and working primarily as an artist, I mean, that was just part of my regular routine, you know, mm-hmm. it was almost every weekend I would try to have some kind of art show or, or some kind of event that, that I was showing or selling at or both. And um, it's been a while since I've done it, you know? <laughs> um, and so the opportunity came up and I was like, sure, why not? You know, they, they weren't, I wasn't pressured to put up anything new, which is good because I don't really have anything new that's finished right now that I would want to show. But mm-hmm. um, when they said, you know, some of your old silkscreen prints and, and different things that you've made and maybe a couple of new things, I was like, oh, that sounds doable. Um, and it was, but holy wow, I, I was just slammed the last two weeks. Like just adding a little bit, you know, when your schedule's already pretty much maxed out. Yeah. You know, adding just, just 2% more, you know, feels like 200% more. You know yeah. What I mean? Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's, it, and the, it seems like the more you do, the more you add. And then when you, when you get to that <laughs> quiet point, it's like, <laughs> It's like you can't get anything done. Yes. <laughs> You're like, yes. but two weeks ago, I was doing 30 things and succeeding at them all. And now I have two and I can't get out of bed. <laughs> yes, I know you know this well. Yes. <laughs> so it was great. I mean, you know, uh, like I said, it was a good reminder of how out of practice I am. and Or, or rather, how good I, I was at it <laughs> not too long ago. <laughs> Um, but, but it still went great. I got to see, you know, a lot of cool people and I sold some work and, um, yeah, it was great. I'm, I'm looking forward. And then of course, I know, you know, this as well, Joe, we do this to us where we go immediately afterwards we go, well, that wasn't so bad. Let's do that again. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Forget everything leading up to it. Right. Right. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was fun. We, we had fun last night in downtown Santa Ana. There are the artwork that takes place on the, the first Saturday, I believe it is, um, in Santa Ana every month is just amazing. Everyone comes out. It's a really cool little scene. So if you, if anyone's listening and hasn't checked it out, I, I highly recommend you check that out. That's awesome. Very well. Yeah. Well yeah. that's that's what we've been doing in our in our non geeky lives. Let's talk about what we've done in our regular <laughs> geeky lives with weekly with our weekly geekery. Uh, any any fun geeky stuff lately? Oh man, there's just one, I mean, a couple things, but there's one thing that I've been waiting to talk to you about. <laughs> and that is that uh, we dove back into 
Walking Dead after taking another hiatus because as we've talked about before, you know, it seems like that's the best way to absorb that show is yeah. to kind of like subject yourself to it and then take a break you uh-huh. know, and then dive back in. And so this time around, we took a much longer than anticipated break. Um, and I didn't realize what was coming in terms of like my reaction to the show because when I started watching again last weekend, after two episodes into season seven, I was like, at that point that you have talked about many times in reference to that show, where I was like, this isn't even fun anymore. Right. <laughs> like, why am I like, why am I doing this to myself? You know what I mean? <laughs> where it almost gets like, it gets to that point where it just, I don't know. I was like, do they want us to keep watching this show? Or <laughs> um, <laughs> we're successful, but we can't. We can't stop. They won't let us stop. So we're right. just gonna make it awful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely reached that point, Joe, this week because I've always been. You know, whenever you bring that up, I'm always like, yeah, but you know, like it's it's still got good stuff and blah blah. And then this week, I was like, oh, I think I'm at that point where Joe was talking about, where I'm just like. Seriously questioning, like, what is this adding to my to my day? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. what is what is this adding to my week versus how is it like affecting it in a negative way? And I'm starting to maybe wonder, like, okay, how much longer are we gonna do this? And the interesting thing is that literally the, the day after I watched those two episodes and felt that, I came across uh, an article that was basically like saying, you know, the Walking Dead has a problem. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just too dour. It's just, you know, it's it's brutalizing its audience. Well, I'm telling, and I was like, I, go ahead. I, I think you're, I think you're gonna see a lot of programming go a lot more light, and I think we've seen um, the end of new dark, tragic television shows. I think you're gonna see a lot more inspiring, lighter fare coming soon. Yeah. Because I think, you know, when things are going well in the world, you know, we we kind of supplement with the with the hard stuff to swallow, but when life's going like it is right now, um people want happy things. And so I think you're going to see a lot more sitcoms. I think you're going to see a lot more uplifting stuff and a lot less of the dark stuff coming forward. Right, right. And to be fair, I I just tracked it down. I should have already had it open, but it was a it was a Vanity Fair article on Walking Dead. So I didn't actually read into it too deeply because or too far, sorry, because, um, you know, I'm starting season seven and they're into season eight. They're getting, you know, started in season Mm -hmm. eight. And so I don't want spoilers, but just I so, so agreed with the, the title <laughs> that, <laughs> that piece is just you know it's just got a problem so yeah. and yeah i think you're absolutely right um it's just interesting to feel myself being affected by that and also because i'm i've always been so you know me dude I, I i'm so down for the gritty stuff as long as it's done well, yeah, yeah. you know and so down for the realistic take that's always my favorite um but yeah yeah that's so that that's what i thought about and what i did geekily this weekend what uh this week what about you nice um my geekiness has all been theater geek stuff um a couple weeks ago and part of the reason why we haven't released an episode in uh, the last couple weeks is because uh about two weeks ago um we did our annual theater festival that my school attends and uh and for the first time in nine years we actually placed into 
or we we went to finals in two categories. We didn't place, but we actually got to finals, which means that our kids were the top ten in that category. And amazing. Yeah, no, I mean, like you don't know how big of a deal this is because we have been like when when the schools that win are the ones that have all this extra funding for the arts and they have like two and three people um, per program. I mean, I know one of the, the school that takes the, you know, sweeps the, the festival every year. I know their wig guy because they have a mm. wig guy. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, you know, there's um, you know, when, when those schools are the ones that are always, you know, making it to the top, of the of the list to get into the the finals meaning you're in the top 10 out of you know as as many as maybe 60 entries it's it's a pretty pretty cool thing and the kids did an awesome job we got in on um, one of our improv teams got in and one of our uh our young women got uh, into the dramatic classic monologue area actually not dramatic humorous classic monologue with uh, the final monologue from Tammy the Shrew. So yeah, it was very, very cool. The kids were very excited and they were, they were, they were perfectly fine. I mean, of course they would have liked to have won, but they were perfectly happy not winning because finals kind of for us was a win. So that was awesome. It, I was so moved when I saw you post that they, uh, that they did so well because I just, I'm, I'm aware of how many years you've been doing this and how much, fun it is for the students you know and how, how hype they get for it I'm, i felt immediately like wow this is a win for every year for every student that has you know participated in this with joe up to this point you know what yeah. i mean like everyone contributed to like you know to, to getting to to this point this year is pretty amazing yeah and, and i i constantly try and tell my alumni that i mean like you know they'll they'll come back and they'll say well why didn't you do this when we were here and i was like well don't you realize that because you did what you guys did, we were able to do this. You have to build the program. You can't yeah. just like jump in feet first and be, you know, ready to go. Um, you have yeah, to, you have to yeah, build the program. Absolutely. So next. And everyone played. Yeah, a part. exactly. And next year's our 10, my 10 years of teaching drama at the school. So we're going to do a big like 10 year anniversary alumni thing. And it'll, it'll be a lot of fun. Wow. That sounds yeah. great. And then the other theater thing I did is, uh, uh, at the end of March, I turned uh, 40, the big 4-0. I am now in my 40s. Um, <laughs> you're like, damn, you're old. <laughs> and so since you only turned 40 once, and, and my, my husband and his friends have a, a big tradition of doing big things when they turn 40, um, my husband, a couple months ago when we are talking about what we are going to do for my 40th, he's like, well, why don't we do a trip to New Zealand? And I'm like – that's really like I would like to go to New Zealand at some point, but that sounds like a Matt thing. That's not a that's not a Joe thing for for my birthday. And he, it's like, okay, well, what about this other place that we could travel? I'm like, eh, it still sounds like a Matt thing. And then he kind of gets that little glimmer in his eye, and he's like, what if we went to New York and saw a bunch of Broadway shows? And I was like, there's a Joe thing right there. That's I'll take one of those, please. <laughs> so I spent the. Uh, better part of this past week up in New York with my husband and we saw four Broadway shows, um, all musicals. Um, we saw, uh, in, in order from, from least favorite to most favorite, but, but they were all amazing. Uh, dear Evan Hansen, what's on this Island come from away and Hamilton. 
Wow. And I can honestly say Hamilton lives up to the hype. Yes. What? Like I, I, Ray, you know me in expectations. I, I went into this show going, <laughs> it's going to be okay. It's not going to be able to live up to the hype, but it's going to be fun. And I love Lynn manuel Miranda's stuff. So I'm going to at least enjoy it. And, um, I turned to, to Matt at the, the intermission and I said, so what do you think? He's like, well, I still need to see the second half, but I think this might be my favorite show ever. And Matt's not a theater guy. Wow. Yeah. And neither of us are, are big rap people, but really it's not that hardcore of rap. So if you don't like rap, it's not mm-hmm. that big a deal. It's, mm-hmm. it's almost a perfectly sculpted piece of theater. I don't know what you could possibly change That's to make it better. That's what I keep hearing, man. That's my coworker, Jason, uh, my buddy. He's he's a huge Hamilton fanboy. I mean, I, I I personally own a Hamilton shirt thanks to Jason. Okay, I've never seen this. <laughs> I've never even listened to it. Um, but yeah, that's what I yes. hear. Question for you: Did you did you listen to? Because a lot of people are familiarizing themselves with the work, with the the songs, and with you know the the whole thing before they actually mm-hmm. see it in person. Did you go that route or did you go in completely like I tried. I, I owned the the album and I tried to listen to a couple and I'm like, okay, I like this, but I'm having trouble picturing what's going on. I'm having trouble keeping the characters clear. Like it just wasn't doing it for me. I'm somebody who has to really see the show before they can enjoy most soundtracks. And if I can hear the soundtrack and love the show, then I know I'm going to love the show itself because it's been able to kind of capture sure. my interest, even if I, I haven't seen it. So I made it through mm-hmm. three or four songs. And then, you know, my students are always yelling at me, how do you not know this show? And I'm like, I, I, I can't, I need to see the show before <laughs> I listen to the soundtrack. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. Cause I've, I've been avoiding listening to any of the songs cause I want to go in completely. Yeah. Just like and I definitely know? encourage um, going to see it. I mean, I, I, it's expensive, but you know, when you have a reason to treat yourself to something, it, it was yeah. amazing. Oh man. See like tickets, tickets went on sale for, uh, orange County. Um, I think last month and I wasn't able to get around and get a ticket. So I'm st- it's still one of those things where I'm like, God, at some point I've got to see Hamilton. How am yeah, I gonna do it's that? You know? really, really good. And then the other one that the one that came in second for me was, um, was come from away, which is the story of Gander, Newfoundland during nine 11, where they rerouted all the, that Gander has the, one of the largest, um, airports in the world because it's where people would um, stop over when you couldn't make it all the way across the Atlantic on one tank of gas. So there's this big, Mm. um, big airport there and they have a population of like 7,000 people. And on nine 11, when they closed down all of the air traffic in the U S they had 38 planes touched down in their little fishing town of Gander and an additional 7,000 people that they had to house, clothe, um, medicate, and, and they had them there for like four or five days. And so it's kind of the story of, um, people landing in Gander and how they dealt with the, with the crisis and all the emotion that goes with it. And the fact that these are people from all over the world that are coming to this, they didn't all speak the same language. Some of them had dietary requirements. Some of them had religious requirements. Like there's all these things that they had to meet and they did. And the coolest thing about the show is it's done with 12 people, 12 chairs and two tables. 
that that's that's a, it's a basically bare stage. They have a couple of panels in the back that open up when they need to kind of um, imply that they're in the inside the plane. But it, it is basically f- 12 wooden chairs that you'd find in kind of a bohemian bar and two tables. And, wow. and it, it is wow. it is amazing. It is the kind of complete opposite of um, – of some of the other shows we saw, which were very, you know, high production value, high. I mean, it was amazing and they did a great job with everything, but it's very simple. And just by throwing on different costume pieces, they played, you know, these 12 people played hundreds of characters. Wow. Yeah, that's it was amazing. awesome. And I think that's coming out to LA sometime in the next year or so. So I highly recommend anybody who's in the LA area to go check that out too, because it was really good. Really, really cool. good. I know a certain Hamilton freak and overall fan of musicals and I'm going to be recommending that too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's definitely awesome. Um, Once on this Island has been around for a really long time, but this is a new production of it. And you walk into this little theater in the round and it was like, it, it takes place in the Island and it's basically an, uh, a Caribbean version of the little mermaid from Hans Christian Anderson. And mm the middle of the stage was completely covered in sand and had all this like debris on it. And there was like a, a, a shoreline and water that went out like literally like you could step in about a foot of water if you were on stage Whoa. and, and it went out into the, one of the exits of the, um, the theater and the, the characters came out about five minutes before show started and started interacting with each other, with the audience. And there's a chicken on stage and, you know, it looks like a bunch of people who are on kind of a, a poor Caribbean beachfront community. And then, you know, they start telling this tale of this, this character that's, you know, supposed to be like the little mermaid. And all of a sudden they start adding costume pieces and people start becoming the gods that the island worships and just very simple sets, but moved around in very different ways. And it rains on stage at one point. And, and it's all done in this like theater in the round where this, the audience is completely surrounding this. It was amazing. It was absolutely magical. Wow. (laughs) These all sound great so far. Yeah, no, it was a great thing. I mean, the, the one, the one show that, that kind of made it to the bottom of the list and, and it was mostly because it followed Hamilton. So it was kind of hard to, you know, we watched mm-hmm. Hamilton and we watched this. It was like nothing was going to be able to hold up to it. Um, but dear Evan Hansen, my husband looks around and sees the audience kind of demographics. And he's like, we're the only adult men here who are not dads with their daughters to see the show. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's definitely the emo teen uh, hit of the year. So. so that leads to a question. How, how did you decide on these four uh, uh, productions? Like what, what was it that, you know, draws your your interest or, or something when you're planning to see a show like this. Well, Hamilton was the no-brainer. I mean, that was kind of the point of the trip from the get-go. But um, we both – Matt is a big um, history buff, and he – he has always been, you know, being from the, the from New Jersey and, and and have gone having gone to the World Trade Center many times before um, 9-11, uh, he'd always said that the story of Gander would make a good movie. And so when I told him there was a musical about it and that it looked really good, he was like, Okay, we have to go see that. 
Nice. Uh, my students talk a lot about Dear Evan Hansen, so that's how that one got picked. Okay. And then when we got there, <laughs> we took a red eye from Palm Springs that left at nine. We got to New York at four in the morning, <laughs> and our hotel room wasn't ready until four in the afternoon. So for 12 hours, <laughs> we were sitting there, like no sleep because we couldn't sleep on the plane. Oh. Just like just dying. And so we're trying to keep ourselves busy. And so Matt goes, well, why don't we go to – I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forget the name of the the – sales company, but there's a, there's four different locations that you can go to in New York that sells discounted tickets. And so Matt wanted to see waitress, which is really big on Broadway right now. But a friends of ours were like, don't see waitress, go see once on this Island. And we're like, okay, so we got discounted <laughs> tickets to once on this Island. I'm, I'm really glad we did. Cause it was, I, I haven't seen that magical of a, a theater piece in a very, very long time. Hmm. Nice. Yeah. So that was that was my geeky theater theater trip. I we we just you know walked around New York for four days and and then tried a whole bunch of really good food and and watched some good theater. Yeah, that sounds great. Happy birthday. That's the way to do it. Thank man. you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, we're gonna take a quick commercial break and then we are gonna come back and talk about Ready Player One, which I'm very excited to. Uh, to hear your thoughts on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll be right back. I'm Void. And I'm Beach. And together, we're the geek to geek podcast. Well, we make it. It is kind of us, but I guess it's separate. Every week, we pick a topic from geek or digital culture and chat about it for a while. And you're invited. We talk about books and movies, games, comics, the internet. Or really whatever we feel like. Yeah, that too. So look for the geek to geek podcast on iTunes. Or wherever your podcasts are sold. Or downloaded. Or whatever. Comics. Hey everyone, Rob here, your friendly neighborhood comic geek, inviting you to join me and my rotating cast of co-hosts each week on the Comic Box, where we tell you everything you need to know to become a world-class comic book geek. So join us for the Comic Box each week right here on the Geek to Geek Podcast Network. Hi everyone, I'm Katie. And I'm Chelsea, and we are the hosts of Tea Time with Katie and Chelsea. We are two best friends who love pop culture and talking about pretty much whatever we want. Katie! Yes? Stop thinking about Zac Efron and tell our future listeners what some of our latest episodes have been about. Well, we've talked about Zac Efron. No, get it together, Katie. Fine. We've talked about fan fiction, classical literature adaptations, favorite TV couples, and so much more. So grab your cup of tea or whatever your drink of choice and download our podcast today. And we're back. So, uh, Ready Player One, I have read the book. You have not, correct? Correct. All right. So I'm going to let you go first because I want with the opinion of somebody going into this with no book experience <laughs> thought thought of the movie. Okay. Um, it's funny because I have read about the book, but I haven't read the book. Mm-hmm. Um, I... I this for me was a Steven Spielberg experience, not a Ready Player One experience. Okay. Um, and it falls in line with pretty much my my opinion of late Steven Spielberg, which is um, for me at this point all his not tricks. I shouldn't say because they're not tricks because he's he knows what he's doing. Um, his style is just very apparent to me at this point. Mm-hmm. I can tell, you mm-hmm. know, 
how he does what he does and and everything and his choices are so like in your face for me at this point um that i need something more beyond that uh to enjoy a a, you know a a current steven spielberg film um and it Mm -hmm. just doesn't in the end it just feels like it's he's you know he's kind of narrowed his whole filmmaking language down to like these certain beats and so i thought that the the most fun for me was at the beginning when he was like world building for the audience and like, you know, kind of your introduction to this thing. And, mm-hmm. and then by the end, it was just like the, the third act was probably my least favorite part of this film. Um, and that's just because I felt like all of that promise and all of the excitement of this concept at the beginning of the film still nevertheless, just kind of wound down to the same like third act like villain protagonist, like story points that Steven Spielberg loves. Um, so mm-hmm. that was that. That's how I felt about the film. Um, you know, it, it was it was cool, it was enjoyable, but it's it's not my favorite thing. I mean, it's it's not this is not something that I would feel like the need to to revisit just because I feel like the innovation that was possible didn't and they didn't follow through with that. You know, right? Um, yeah, no, I definitely see. Yeah, that. yeah, but it didn't feel slight. I've I've heard people talk about like they cut out so much um and you know like the the they get so quickly to like a certain point in the book and none of it for me watching the film felt like they like they skipped a bunch of stuff i it, it didn't feel like anything was missing yeah and I, I would agree as somebody who has read the book like i didn't go in like if you went in there expecting the book you were gonna you were automatically gonna be disappointed right. because they they can't they can't re- recreate what what that experience was because it's, it's just a different medium. And I, I I think there's a lot of movies out there that can be translated more directly than this one was. So I, I got that, that I didn't mind. Um, I felt like uh, they did handle a lot of stuff like in, in the book, the, uh, and this is going to be spoilers. I'm going to, I'm going to let you know for both the book and the the movie. So if anybody doesn't, doesn't want to, to, be spoiled for the book. Uh, you might want to turn this off for until sure. you yeah. finish it's reading the book. Fashion, uh, geekitude, uh, spoiler cast. So. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So in the in the book, do you think the um, and I didn't. I don't know that they did a very good job explaining that there is this whole subculture in this world of of people who are hunters for this Easter egg in the oasis, and and it is there. There's Three different types. There's the um, the Sixers, which is the big mega corporate company, the IOI people, which they had, and then they have um, clans, which are people who join together and work together to solve the problem. And then they've got these independents, which you know our our main characters are, and and he has a journal which he calls his um, oh why am I or his his Grail journal, and so he puts all his stuff in the grail journal. Well, of course, you know, him referencing the grail, grail journal in a book is going to be, it makes sense. It's a book referencing mm-hmm. a book. I, I love what they did with, you know, the, um, the archives was kind of their version of his. Grail oh. diary. And, and so I felt like they did a lot of good translations of, okay, this is how we're going to make this work for this visual huh. medium. Uh, as far as the book goes and, and uh, as a representation of the book, I think that's where it ended for me. I did not like this ah, movie. Okay. We're getting somewhere here. 
<laughs> uh, talk about that. What what was it? And you like okay, the book, um, right? First, okay, love the book. Love the book. And I know you know it is it is a fluff piece, but I think it's got. It's not a great book, but it is a fun book. It tugs on nostalgia heartstrings. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like it, it, it kind of, it's something that geeks can get into because they can empathize with everything that's in this book. Um, but my problems with the translation, like if you translate a book to a movie, you have to keep the, the point. Otherwise it's a different book. I think that's kind of like war, uh, world war Z. Right. Like, um, Max Brooks is like, I don't care what they do with the book or with the movie because it's not my book. It's just using right. my title. Like it's, it's a different creature, but this was supposed to be a translation of the book. And the point was very supposed to be anti um, corporation, big on net neutrality, you know, don't let corporations take over the internet. Yeah. Um, doused with a lot of nostalgia. Like that mm. was the book. And I feel like they touched on that, but it was more – it felt like grandpa telling me how the internet works. <laughs> it really did. I think I think that what you I, – I think this is a generation gap thing, and I think Steven Spielberg was probably not a great choice for the vision of – to translate the vision of That's the book. That's really interesting. I felt all of those things – actually I, I picked up on and I haven't read the book definitely felt like, okay, this is, and I'm, I mean, I'm not a gamer, you know, I'm kind of work mm-hmm. and live adjacent to gaming culture, but, um, I, I'm not an active participant. And so I get, mm-hmm. I, I understand, you know, I guess some of the, I don't want to say stereotypes, but like, when I'm when I'm watching a, a movie about you know where the, where the hero is, is a gamer I guess or everyone is a gamer in this movie, <laughs> um, but because they're all participating in this like you know kind of the the, the oasis um, that virtual reality construct thing. Um, when I see them talking about how you know their their cause is righteous because you know it's the little guy that should you know, win control of this thing and like fight the evil corporations and don't be a sellout. And they even like test each other, right? When, when the two main characters uh, uh, first meet uh, virtually, they test each other by not only their knowledge of this like sanctified figure, but also like, would you, you know, you would probably, you know, sell out if somebody offered you this much money, you know, you, you wouldn't think twice about the little person. You know what I mean? Um, so, so that came right, through right, right. for me. Um, and I was actually shocked as far as your comment about like, this felt like grand, you know, grandpa explaining how the internet works. I was shocked at even the attempt to take this subculture that's, you know, more and more just becoming a, a culture outright in its own and explaining it mm-hmm. and, and kind of make, making it so that people outside of that culture could still understand and enjoy this film experience. I felt it was like very mm-hmm. ambitious in that. I couldn't believe I was watching what I, some of the things that I was watching and some of the stuff they were talking about. I was like, wow, I can't believe this is all like in a mainstream film. So, you know, and, and yeah. that maybe that's from someone coming outside of the culture. You know, it didn't feel, it actually felt, uh, um, I can't think of the word now because, you know, it's the weekend. But um, 
it, it did, you know, somewhat revolutionary, somewhat like, wow, they're really taking a chance here, you know, at, at that, that mainstream audiences are going to like accept this and then just go because they didn't spend a lot of time to me, like explaining it. They set it up. And then it's like, now you're in this world. You just have to, you just have to believe that this avatar is this person and just go with it. And, and for you, that might be like, you know, duh, but like for, for me knowing, you know, um, people that don't, are not into this. I'm like, wow, I wonder how this is going to be received if they're going to be able to keep up. Yeah. And when, and I mean, my, my husband is, is less gamer adjacent mm. than you are. And, I mean, he's got me and he kind of knows what I do online. <laughs> <laughs> That's about it. Uh, but he didn't have a problem following along, but what he pointed out and, and, and the stuff that kind of refers me back to that idea that grandpa is telling me how to deal with the internet is at one point, um, Ace is, or H is, is telling Z that um, he's like, you know, don't trust people you meet on the internet in the real world. And he has to explain that the girl that he's, you know, lusting after might be, you know, a, a 200 pound guy in his mother's yeah. basement named Chuck. And, and Matt's like, I don't need to, like, that's just kind of standard stuff like like everybody knows that you know you have to be wary of who people say they are online but this whole don't trust people you meet online kind of mindset is something from the 90s when the internet was new it's like that's not that's not what the internet is anymore it's yes you can get catfished but it's not it's not this scary place where predators just lurk constantly (laughs) like yeah, and, and that's and that's that kind of grandpa feeling that I I didn't get. And then at the end, when he takes over again, spoilers, when he takes over the um, the oasis, they shut it down on Tuesdays <laughs> and Thursdays because they need to spend more time out in the real world. First of all, basically, this world's economy lives and dies by the <laughs> oasis at this point like like everything that is done is e-commerce through the oasis at least it is in the book you can't that's like shutting down the stock market on tuesdays and thursdays because you've decided that people need to not spend money <laughs> like it it you can't you can't do that and and it's such a grandpa point of view that that he would know he would need to regulate the the oasis for people because they can't be trusted to regulate it themselves it goes completely against everything that they were fighting for the whole thing is that not have control over their time in this virtual space and the first thing he does is (laughs) shut it down for two days two days a week so that people will go out and spend time with their families it's like at that point i was just like i i can't this this movie missed the point of see i i I had a I equally hated that last bit at the end uh, for a different reason completely because in that scene, visually what's happening on the camera when he's talking about in voiceover how they shut shut it down Tuesdays and Thursdays is uh, the female protagonist is sitting on his lap um, making out with him and I'm like, God, like it's just, she just, you know, for all this talk about, all this effort they put into like uh, 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 making her character like a fully realized character, like she's still like presented as like a prize that he won, <laughs> like in the course of the story, yeah. you know, yeah, it's very just, much like, so. Ugh, that made me cringe so hard. Um, 
But yeah, it's so funny the points you're making. I didn't even think about it. Uh, there's that one moment where uh, he starts to tell her, he first starts to tell her his real name and she freaks out. And she's like, don't tell anyone who you really are. Like, you don't do that, you know? And it's like, that mm -hmm. is such a 90s, like an old way of, of engaging with, with your online, you know, personality or your online uh, uh, presence. Yeah, and she says that to him in the book, but it's because he's number one on the scoreboard and people right. are going to target him in real life. And like, like, like it's a, a warning about his particular situation. It's not the <laughs> yeah. internet is bad. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, well, so was that you, you didn't like this. Was there anything uh, that you, what, what were the good parts for you? Um, I, I think the, some of the stuff you were talking about, about the representation of the virtual space, because I mean, I, again, I've played MMOs for, for decades now and it is, um, you know, it, it's, it's kind of a, a movie representation of that gaming experience where I, I have met people, um, online and then gone on to meet them in the real world. Like I'm, I'm going to be going to a wedding for one of them in the future. And you know, I, when I went to London, I met a friend that I've met online. You know, I I've, I've created, uh, I've, I've existed in this culture for a very long time. So to see that in some way represented okay. on film is very cool. Okay. Um, I, I, like I said, I do think that they, they translated some of the, the trickier things in the book that you'd be like, mm, I don't know how they would do this and make it interesting for film. I thought that was good. But again, like because of the tone and the, the point was just so overshadowed and, and wrong, it, it made it hard for me to yeah, yeah. enjoy. Um, I was really, it's really cool to see Spielberg, you know, and after all this time and, and what he's been able to do with, with film uh embrace cgi and like he doesn't just try to do the same thing digitally you know he takes advantage of the mm -hmm. fact that there's basically no limits to that medium and like he does stuff with the camera that you wouldn't be able to do in the real world you know what i mean um but it's still like exciting mm -hmm. like that chasing that was so dope like that and i've heard i've never seen tintin but i've i've heard that he has a and also like a really amazing action sequence in the beginning of that film as well um and so that was cool and that's what got me excited because i'm like oh man like maybe you know the through, through this concept and and you know um this this story maybe spielberg has has reinvigorated his his filmmaking chops and He's gonna, you know, story-wise, he's going to reach for something more. You know, um, it was definitely mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. I was pumped because I, I was. This is not honestly like this movie was not high on my list of like, oh, I gotta watch that because there's so much stuff I want to watch. But I knew I would get to it eventually, and so um, that first uh, um, part of the story, uh, I was like, oh man, this wait, this might be really good. Like I'm in, really enjoying this so far, and it was the storytelling, you know. Um, and then yeah, it yeah. just, you know, slowly starts to fall right into the same deeply worn grooves of stories that he's told. And I could see it coming as soon as it started to yeah. happen. I was like, oh no, like to a certain extent, he can't really help himself. Like there's a story that he wants to tell and he tells it over and over and over again, except with dinosaurs or mm -hmm. with a friendly alien 
or you know, just time to like you know, CGI recreations of like pop culture characters. You know what I mean? But it's the it's the same thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so that that kind of you know, as the the as it went on and it got more definitively that it kind of you know my 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 enjoyment was lost. Yeah. It it. it it felt like there was like he he might have bumped up against the borders of what he's comfortable with, but he he ended up backpedaling to yeah, his comfort yeah. zone. Yeah, yeah, and it's funny because one of the things that I noticed early on was that the main character visually looked like a young Steven Spielberg, and I've heard yeah. you know people talk about how yeah. this was like a, actually a pretty personal movie for him, and that and that could just be you know spinning it in you know to to get people to care about this film, but. Um, I didn't know that he's like, he's played video games for a long time. <laughs> Did you know that? Did you know Steven Spielberg was a gamer? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it, it makes sense. I, I think a lot, I, I, I honestly think a lot of that, that tribe is, uh, you're very knitted into mainstream geek culture and all yeah, its varieties. Yeah. Um, it just, it got, uh, it got a bit hokey for me. For me, the, the, uh, the the jump over the shark was um where um the the main villain who through this entire and it's played by uh, what's his name ben Mendelssohn, i think his name is um this entire film he's got this whole team this army at his disposal right that to do his beck and call mm-hmm. um i think at one point they show like it takes an entire team just to like take like an object from him and walk out the room or something he's got that much power and at the end he's like driving in the high-speed chase next to like the truck and i'm like doesn't he have someone to do that for him like i get that like at the end of the you know the culmination of this conflict has to be you know directly between the main protagonist and antagonist but that just really took me out of the film that moment where i was like all of a sudden i'm in the goonies like Yeah, that's exactly. Oh my god, that's exactly what I was about to say. So here's here's my problem with Sorrento because he's one of the two characters I huge problem with in the book. And again, I I, I hate to be that guy who that keeps comp- comparing it to the book, but I'm I'm going to. Um, the, in the book, he's terrifying. Like when he blows up, um, Wade's aunt's, um, trailer yeah. in the stacks. Um, he doesn't just blow up her trailer. He blows up the bottom of the tower that that trailer is in, and then it cascades and decimates like a good percentage wow. of the stacks, like like kills hundreds of people yeah. to get to Wade, hundreds, and and he is a scary dude that stalks these kids with like like a predator. Like he just, he's a scary dude. And I feel like he became the bumbling character, the bumbling bad yes. guys in Goonies. And, and it, and it was like, but no, this is a guy who, and then he, he opens the door and Wade's right there and he's got a gun pointed on him. And I'm like, the character has yeah. to take the shot. Like the that character just blew up a group of stacks, even, even if it's just the, the scale of the movie just blew up and killed, you know, d- you know, maybe a dozen people to get to this kid. Now he's standing right in front of him. If he's this determined, he's going to shoot him. And then he just kind of gets this like, ah, look on his face. <laughs> and it was like, yeah, they made it a point up to that, 
uh, uh, to that part of the story to, to emphasize that this guy is not part of the culture. He's not a gamer. He's not, you know, invested in the Oasis in a way like everyone else is. He's got lackeys feeding him, like, cool talking points. You know what I mean? To convince Wade yeah, that yeah. he is one of them when he's not. So why would he have – what part of him would connect to that moment at the end where he would have this, like, epiphany, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. And that there was no motivation for it. The other character I had a huge problem with was um, the H was, I, I thought, terribly handled. Um, because in the book, yes, in the book, H is a, a black woman. Um, but her avatar... Her avatar in the movie could have been anything. I think it was kind of tagged as being kind of a big mm. black dude. Like, I think that there were definitely notes of, of you know, if you saw that that was being played by a black dude, it would right, not surprise right. you. Um, in, in the book, it is very clear that H's avatar is white. And it's it's just a, a good looking oh. white kid, and it's important because she learns that lesson from her mother that she is going to get farther as a white man if people perceive her as a white man oh than God. as a black woman. That's awesome, and that's a huge piece. And and then she gets kicked out of her house because she's a lesbian, and her mother can't translate the unfairness over to wow. sexuality that like huge huge important part of that character completely left out and even if you don't go to the the lgbtq portion of it the fact that she doesn't have this classically good looking white avatar completely loses the oh my point god the yeah totally i had no idea that would have changed a substantial portion of the movie for me i mean that's yeah wow when, when i when i read it the first time because i've read the book once and i've listened to the audiobook once both times i get to that point and i tear up because when she meets wade wade is like you know she meets he meets this this kind of chubby black woman who turns out to be a lesbian, which makes sense because they've had all these conversations in, in H's pad about, about in the Oasis about women and, and Wade handles it like a pro. And then she goes on to explain her background and you tear up because, you know, she's, she's somebody who's been completely on her own for the, her entire life because her mother kicked her out because she's gay. It's a huge part yeah, of her character. Yeah. Um, and then when when they've got this big bald brawny guy that could be of it's not even yeah. a human yeah it it completely takes away the point That's of that funny character. because when they started to introduce more more of the the team quote unquote I was like mm -hmm. finally like some we got some people of color in here like fine <laughs> you know, like like finally yeah, yeah. like Jesus I was like wait what like is this supposed to be the world like um, and then, uh, but it was like a substantial way into the film before they introduced like these real people, you know what I mean? 
behind avatars right. and they're like people of color. I'm like, awesome. Uh, and then quickly, like, I mean, that that good feeling of like, yes, almost immediately turns into like, oh, yeah, but tokenism. Like, this totally, like, fully on display here where they're not really, like, fully realized characters. You know what I mean? Like, they haven't developed. And, and they gave a bit more attention to Lena's character, but just a tiny bit. And I was like, oh, man, like, do better, you know? Uh, what you're talking about sounds fa- yeah. sounds fantastic. Yeah, it's it's an it's an amazing part of that, and and I feel and I think that's why I was kind of like, okay, this is Grandpa's version of this story because I think if it was done by somebody who was a little bit more in touch with gaming culture now, um, I and and the whole point of of the inequality between the the big corporation and everybody else, you were going to see a lot more minorities in the stacks. The stacks were not very diverse and a lot of, a lot of white people. Um, and I think you would have seen like them trying to make the representation there. I think there would have been a lot more, um, gating a lot more uh, like peer gating because that's a big problem in gaming culture that thing that they do where they're sizing each up how good of a nerd they they each are um i think that would be a little bit more relevant because because i know a lot of women gamers who have to go through that every time they log on because people don't trust that they know what they're doing. Um, or they do what, what H in the book does and just don't tell anybody that they're a woman and then nobody has to, you know, challenge them on it. And then the, the, I think you would have seen a little bit more, um, I don't know, just a little bit more of this idea of what, a little bit more of the cultural representation online. And I, I think that was just all very missed. I mean, I, the main characters w- are in the book, those ethnicities, but I do think that there are um, opportunities to kind of point out that this is a very diverse culture and population. Like when our storyteller so. is going to like finally grasp that, like the, you know, the more diverse you make your story, like the, it always makes it better. Always. Always, yeah. always, always, always. Yeah. Um, yeah, after the first act, I really started to dare to think like, wait, are they going for something here? Like, are they going to like make a real, like a real statement? You know what I mean? Like, are, are they, are, is mm-hmm, this film going to further the conversation? And then, you know, I, I think it was around the time that they showed um, uh, Artemis's real life character. I was like, oh, no. There, no, she, she's conventionally <laughs> attractive, of course. You know what I mean? She's she's the cute gamer girl that is like it. It, it made me think instantly of um. Have we talked? Have have we talked about Vivian James? You and I. Vivian no. James, that that online avatar, that idealized avatar of like what uh, gamer gators think like a a female gamer should should be should should try to approximate. I, I, you know what? I think you've mentioned it, but I don't think I've actually. I'm. I've looked. I just looked yeah, her up. Yeah, and she's redhead, and she's a little bit mousy and a little bit disheveled, but definitely conventionally attractive. And depending on what kind of, you know, imagery you're looking at, of course, some some you know people represent her as like extremely, uh, um, sexualized. 
Um, and it ranges from extremely sexualized to like, you know, just like a cute little like gamer girl who like just wants to play the game and doesn't want to discuss like real world issues or like, you know, like none of that matters, just play the game. And I think that's like kind of, it came from like 4chan and like, um, it, 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 it was around like that whole Gamergate stuff that this avatar started to gain, you know, popularity. Um, ew, mm-hmm. like gross, <laughs> like so gross. And so when they revealed like Artemis to like be redhead and the kind of, I was like, Oh no, like it's too close to that. Not that I know, not that, you know, I don't know who's aware of that, but for me it was like instantly I was like, Oh, okay. Like that's, you know, of course this is who Wade would want to be behind Artemis. Right. And it just right, so happens right. that it is. And then they, they started to flesh out a character a little bit more. And I was like, oh, okay, you know, like, good. Like, at least, you know, give her a real arc and, you know, a backstory or whatnot. But then, you know, by the end, she's, you know, I think at one point, literally, like, he decides for her that yeah. it's too dangerous. Or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I just was about to say that. Like, he takes away her agency yeah. at, at the end. <laughs> yes. Doesn't let her... Like, I mean, she she could sacrifice herself. She could not quite make it. She could... Right. Like, there are a lot of different ways for him to still be the one in the spotlight. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, they're, they're feeding him... Up until the last challenge in the book, they're feeding him their knowledge yeah. too, and they're kind of working together. Yeah, yeah. And and she she definitely helps him a lot. Like in the book, this is another thing that the book did that I didn't think was handled really well. They they don't meet until the very end, and in real life, and um, it, it's a competition. Like she has every like she will step on him to make it to the end if it means that one of them wins like they they definitely want one of the five of them to win but she she will she'll knock him out like she she would be more likely to pull the gun and and shoot his avatar than the other way around and and i don't feel like that came through in her character yeah yeah it just and you know it just was again one more thing that kind of went the usual way unfortunately you know what i mean um, mm-hmm. yeah, I had a laugh at the end at how kind of wacky some of the, those final scenes were with like people just popping up, you know, like <laughs> all mm-hmm. of a sudden the cops show up, you know, and they're like, Hey, you know, put down the gun. And then he, you know, he does, and then they arrest him or whatever. And then the door closes and like the cops are not interested at all in what's going on like inside. The, right, the, right, right, you know? right, right. And then like, who else, like someone else shows up and the door opens and it's like someone else. And then. Uh, Lena's like, uh, Lena's character is like, oh, that that's me. And then like, she leaves, and then the doors close. Like, really? Like they, <laughs> they're they're here. Like the quote unquote authorities are here to like handle this, and like they're just not interested at all. It's just it's it just felt too cutesy at the end there, you know. And I think, it, yeah, it really part did. of it was the the score as well. What what did you think about the use of song? I felt like the the pop culture song stuff was kind of cool. But then by mm-hmm. the end, it was like, you know, John Williams, Steven Spielberg, like, you know, like, just like. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah. And I, I mean, I guess I, I, I know that people, I know that people are going to get on us for Hayden on the show or on the movie. <laughs> but um, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, but the, you know, I, 
it's something that I, I enjoyed as far as I could sit there and be like, oh, this is fun. Mm. This I I you know it's still it wasn't it wasn't a bad movie. It just could have been a better movie. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think at the end that that's kind of my takeaway. And I didn't I didn't go into this expecting the book. Yeah. But if you're gonna like I I the stuff that they decided not to include wasn't oh they didn't solve a Dungeons and Dragons puzzle oh they didn't play Joust no I mean I I get that they wanted to make it a little bit more accessible for other people um, that weren't necessarily aware of 80s pop culture. Uh, but but the, the, the kind of truisms of the book, like you know some of the character choices and the, um, and the overall end goal of these people, I mean, you no, know, you're not going to turn off the internet for Tuesdays and Thursdays. <laughs> like it's not, not going to happen. Um, one more thing I want to dive into with you before um, we move on because I feel like there's some bigger some bigger things at play here that the, that a movie like this kind of you know is part of a conversation of that I want to talk to you about. But first, uh, before we do that, what how did you feel about the whole sequence in The Shining? I it has been so long since I've watched The Shining. Um, it seemed like it was kind of cool, but it's, the shining has never been in my fandom. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I, I'm sure people who love the shining have stronger opinions about it than I do. Did it take you out of the film? Were you just like, let's go? Cause it was such an odd choice to me to just all of a sudden be in another movie, whatever the movie is. You know what I mean? I, I honestly would have liked to have seen more of that because, like one of the things that is part of the the trial is that they have to go through different movies and like act out one of the characters in the movie and they don't get prompted. They have to know what the line is. Ah. So, so I think it's, I can't remember if it's, Oh, what's the name? Is it Ferris Bueller's day off that he has to go through? Hmm. In the book or the breakfast club. Or, I don't know. There was, yeah. In the book, he has to go through a, a movie where he is. And it's, I know people are going to be listening to this and screaming at me. What the name of the movie <laughs> is that he has. To go um, but uh, he's got to go through the movie and he's basically playing the, the character. I, I, maybe it was back to the future. I don't, I don't remember. They're all but he goes through yelling at you joe just so you know right yeah. now, even though this hasn't been released yet they're already on twitter yelling at you. yes uh, but yeah so they have to basically like line by line they have to score a certain number of points in order to get to the end of the um mm. of the trial and so them going into other worlds and other movies and other pop culture is so ingrained in, into the book I would have actually liked to have seen more of it because I felt like it would have been um, like, I, I felt like that was one of the more authentic things to the book. Interesting. Yeah. It felt like such a stark sequence because, and I think you're right. They, they do mention in, in the movie uh, making all high schools at one point, I think like, you know, the, the high school from um, John Hughes films. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh yeah, I think it would have been cool actually to see them go into another film so that the the you know little side trip into The Shining what didn't wasn't so like what? <laughs> because and then to pick that movie, it's such a, you know, I mean it's a Kubrick film and we get like I get that like Spielberg is like fanboy 
fanboying, boying, you know, a little bit there over, over Kubrick. But, um, yeah, like I am like a huge fan of that film. It's one of my favorite movies, you know, uh, definitely one of my top favorite horror movies of all time. Um, and then I was watching with someone that had never seen the shining, didn't know anything about that film at all. And so, you know, that, that was interesting to, to those two perspectives side by side. Um, I don't think that uh, it necessarily like negatively impacted the film. I just think it was more like for me, it was like such an odd choice. And yeah. see, I would have liked I would have liked to see that as the pop culture draw-ins as opposed to the crowd scenes of thousands <laughs> of different pop culture characters that you can never yeah. distinguish from. I'm like, yeah. I think I saw a Ninja Turtle. I think I saw <laughs> yeah, this character. Sure. I like you couldn't pick them out because there were so many and it went so fast that I you know, I want to see them get chased through a bunch of different scenes from different movies. Yeah. I want to see them get um, because in the in the Oasis, you know, you you play your own avatar. You don't play Batman because Black Batman is trademarked. Mm-hmm. But you can go, like they said, you can go climb a mountain with Batman. You can go right. do other things with Batman, but you can't. You you know, a lot of that is trademarked. Your your avatar is not going to look like Batman. Yeah. Um. So what are your what are your takeaways? Because I have some takeaways. I don't know what your takeaways are. My biggest takeaway was it. I feel like it was a a fun movie that kind of approached everything lazily because it could have, it could have done a lot more. Like Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't, I think it, I think it in many ways took the easy route and, and that's why it it feels just a little bit kind of like, yeah, it was fun. People could enjoy it, but it, it, it had a lot of missed opportunities and a lot of the things that gave the book a deeper meaning didn't make it into the movie. Right, right. Um, okay. I uh, I feel like this is a good example of, of what's happening nowadays in terms of like how fast our like social consciousness is like moving. Mm-hmm. Um, where we the conversations that are happening are outpacing the storytelling, you know, timeline or ability production you know ability of films right you know where mm-hmm. how long i mean how long has this film been in production you know by the time it comes out it it's always going to feel like it's kind of behind when you're trying to make movies like this um and i and it just made me think of like print news versus twitter you know yeah. like movies now are like they're feeling a bit like print news especially when they're trying to make like a commentary about society you know and technology yeah. and stuff like that it just or whatever the case may be um these issues that are you know we're finally finally <laughs> dealing with like on a national level um you know, it just it's it's going to be hard to do, and it, like I said, it's outpacing Hollywood. So then, my next you know, my next question was, my next thought was, okay, well, if that's print news, what is going to be Twitter? But like for stories, for storytelling, that's that's a really good. That's a good point, and because, I don't I don't know what the answer is because I don't know we've gotten there yet. Right, but like my first thought was, oh, games because games is not games are not a passive storytelling thing where you're just sitting in a theater and watching a story being told to you you're actually in a game and you're making choices and you're kind of directing somewhat you're directing the story Mm -hmm. um 
But with games as well, I feel like it takes so long to make a game. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That maybe, although there is opportunities there for like making choices and more agency as the as the person participating, um, it's still gonna be like from an idea two years ago. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um. And so so that that got me really thinking about that. I've been thinking about like what is good, what is the storytelling? You know, part of me wants to say you know kind of comics. You know what I mean? Because especially with like that might be why in the art world now. And, and especially like in like subculture, like communities and like stuff that like um, that I am connected to, zines are really popular. You know what a zine is? I don't. It's it's like from like kind of punk rock days, and I'm sure someone on Twitter right now is yelling at me because I'm getting this wrong. But um, it's basically like a, a a a handmade, personally made magazine. Really and usually it's like really like rudimentarily I would say like made like where it's it's you know photocopies of this and and each zine will be you know usually they center on, on a theme mm-hmm. and then it's just some writing maybe some poetry maybe some artwork um, you know maybe some photography and it's just they're they're really accessible they're really cheaply made so they're really cheaply sold. Um, and it's, it, it can be a very personal thing, or you can collaborate with a group of people, writers, artists, whatever. Um, and, you know, when you go to shows or sometimes when you go to, like, um, uh, I don't know, art shows or whatnot, like, usually you'll, you'll be able to find some zines being sold. It's kind of like underground comics, but mm-hmm. not necessarily sticking to the sequential art part of it, you know? Gotcha, Although gotcha. It's yeah, yeah. And it's, those are really popular now. I know I'm seeing them. Uh, I, I mean, for the last few years, I've, I've seen them kind of gaining steam um, in terms of popularity. And I think that makes me think like, yeah, sure, that makes sense. I can have an idea. I kind of have a thought right now. And I can work on a zine for the next week or two and then put it out less than a month from now. Yeah. You know, and you're not going to be reaching like a huge audience. But that's also kind of the, the, the appeal is that, oh, I have to be in that area around that time to have access to that content. Yeah. Which is the opposite of like, I'm going to plug in and go online and, you know, be part of a thing that everybody's a part of. Yeah. Although I think two areas where that might, I don't know that it always does, but I, I do think podcasts are going to, you know, are, are, uh, kind yeah. of like that. you know, we, we're kind of covering the stuff as it happens. And, and sure. I know when the, um, whole anything that has to do with the the florida shooting and the parkland students and and all that stuff i i get a lot of that stuff from from podcasts because there's a lot of people covering them a lot more quickly than than even you know like the daily show can um and then the other thing is is you've got actual plays which i don't know that they're using their powers for for that kind of good but I think a lot of actual plays that are produced on a weekly or semi-weekly basis um, have the opportunity to tell stories that do kind of conform to the the conversations that are, are kind of nationally and globally happening. Those Both of those ring true for me. Not so much in terms of like delivery of news, but more delivery of na- narrative storytelling that feels of the moment in terms of like what we're talking about nationally. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Cool. That's yeah. You're right. Yeah. Podcasting and plays for sure. Um, and then the last takeaway I had from this film was just because you can doesn't mean you should right? uh, expand on that. <laughs> <laughs> it just, it just, in terms of like what, you know, this, in terms of what Spielberg did, I feel like with this film, 
Like just because you can shove all these things in there doesn't mean you should. Um, this yes. kind of made me feel, you know, the whole foray into like what a big fan of Kubrick he is. Uh, it reminded me a bit of AI, that film that he made that Kubrick started. And mm-hmm. then he kind of took up all of Kubrick's like unfinished materials and then like made a film out of it. Um, you know, just just because you can doesn't mean you should. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe that might have some connection to the story at hand as well, but I'm I'm not going to take it that far right now. <laughs> well, I I apologize to anyone. I know there's some people that listen that that get frustrated when we don't geek out about a a, a movie and and we kind of get down on it. But you know, I, I I don't think it was a bad movie, and I'm I'm not one of those people that was like it's not the book, so therefore it shouldn't you know it's not good. But I do think that there were some opportunities in tone and and content that were missed that could have been uh really powerful and just weren't yeah yeah and i think part of it too is like i want i love the first act i want to see you know i want to see two more acts that fulfill the promise of that first act you know Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and yeah i agree with you part of you know why it sounds by the end of the film that you know i'm really down on it is be part of it is because I love the first act so much, you know, that there was so much, I got so excited about the potential and the storytelling on display there and being part of this world that, uh, you know, I, I really, I guess I had really high hopes, higher hopes, you know, and, and right. mind you, I had, I had did not have high hopes going into the film. So after that first act, I was on board. It, they, they won me with that first act. You know, right. I was like, yes, I'm, for seeing the rest of this and then second act i was like uh, and then third act i was like oh man and i think a little bit of that is again they 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 rushed to get to where they could interact in the real world because we want to give the actors screen time oh, and I, I think it's the same reason why we have to take off spider-man's mask i was just gonna say that yep and yeah and- Tony Stark is like leaving his face exposed in these battles. And you're like, what are you doing, man? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I, and I think that that's part of the, uh, the problem is that we need to step away from this thought that we have to make the, the characters, you know, give the actors their opportunity to express with their face. I think they've got, they're doing voice work. And I think most voice actors would tell you that they have to do twice as much work as an actor to get their stuff through voice. So, you know, give them that opportunity to stretch their, their acting chops. Don't, don't force us to, to deal with a lot of this. Cause I think you would have seen a lot more in game stuff that you were talking about that you fell in love with in act one. If we didn't have to portray the actors themselves in act two and three. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. He, they go right into the Oasis at the beginning of the film. I think that's part of, you know, the appeal was was being a part of that and seeing that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we have we have decimated this movie. <laughs> we have torn it apart. <laughs> that wasn't so bad, you know? It's like, it's like after, after, you know, being run through the ringer, oh, you know, let's do that again next week. That wasn't so bad. <laughs> um... So, uh, shout outs. Yes. Shout, I want to give a shout out to uh, my coworker, Jason, who I mentioned earlier, who has been fanning the flames of my, um, my interest in Hamilton. And now with you, Joe, compounding that, it's going to be something. It's going to become a mission now. It's officially on my list of missions. Uh, I'm going to see Hamilton, uh, hopefully sooner rather than later. Uh, but yeah, so what's up, Jason? 
Awesome. Uh, I'm going to give a shout out to my husband, Matt, because, you know, he he really did kind of completely nail it on the on the birthday trip. And uh, it was just a great, great time. And so very, very, very thankful that he was uh, willing to go on a Broadway journey with me because it was a lot of fun. Hey, nice. Your husband, my work husband. That's who we gave shout outs to this week. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> uh we, we don't have anything planned for next week. Um, once I log off, uh, Ray and I will talk about what, what we got coming up because we got a couple of guests who would like to kind of make an appearance here. So, uh, cool. so we'll get that to you uh, soon. All the music in this episode is by Ben Sound is being used under a Creative Commons license. You can find more music by Ben Sound at bensound.com. Geek2Toot is a proud member of the Geek2Geek network. Check out other Geek2Geek shows such as the Geek2Geek podcast, RunningShoes.tv, The Comic Box, and Tea Time with Kitty and Chelsea. And make sure to join our Reddit community at r forward slash Geek2GeekCast. If you want a little bit more of a positive uh, spin on Ready Player One, uh, Beige and Void covered on Geek2GeekCast uh, this past week, and it was a really good episode, so I highly recommend you go check it out. Uh, you can currently find us at geektitude.com as well as on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and most other podcatchers out there. Please leave us a review and spread the word. If you'd like to contact me, you can send me an email at joehogan at geektitude.com. You can also follow the show on Twitter at geektitude or me personally at Epic Grace. And Ray, where can we find you? I'm at Ray Vargas 3. So that's Ray Vargas and then the number 3. Um, and that's my website at dot com. That's my handle at on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and Tumblr. So that's where you can find me. Check him out because he he's a pretty pretty funny dude. I you you've posted a couple of memories recently of <laughs> of your times at uh, at school, and uh, it makes me laugh because I remember those comments and thinking they were hilarious. So yeah, follow follow Ray because he's a funny guy. You will you will get you will get some mileage out of that follow. <laughs> thanks thanks, Joe. All right, folks, that's it. Um, we will see you next week, and until then, remember this week, keep it geek. The Red Legion took away our home. Dominus Gaul has stolen our light. But from the ashes, a fire team of guardians rise to... Guardian down. Wait, wait, wait. Who was that? Uh, Titan, no jump good. This is Happy Hour from the Tower. I'm T. I'm Nick. I'm Brandon. And we're going to talk about all things Destiny. Why we play. Why we love punching aliens in the face. And why T's aim needs a little bit of work. Have you got that? Say you've got it. See something! A podcast for players of all levels. Find Happy Hour from the Tower on iTunes, Stitcher, or at happyhourfromthetower.com. Eyes up, Guardian. Time to give up the ghost. It's Happy Hour from the Tower. First round's on us. theme song means it is once again time to promo the Geek Wolf Pack podcast. I'm your Papa Wolf, Nick Kelly. And I'm your Mama Wolf, Stacia Kelly. And I'm Thermal Wolf, Brandon Kelly. Here on the podcast, we're just a couple of generations geeking out and sharing what we think we think. We'll share the latest nerd news and sci-fi happenings. Looking for life hacks? I'll tell you if there's an app for that. And I'll give you the latest from a gamer's point of view. Plus, every episode includes some of what we like to call ADHD D&D. I'm a healer, and I killed a dragon. 
Spoilers. <laughs> so join us here at the Geek Wolfpack Podcast. Join us on iTunes, Stitcher, Blueberry, or wherever you find your podcasts, or simply at geekwolfpackpodcast.com. And as always, geek out. <laughs>